Hello and welcome to 90% Hits, a podcast usually about the number one singles in Australia throughout the 90s. What we have come to tonight, however, is yet another of our uh, regular Choose Your Own Adventure episodes. So we've gotten to the end of all the number one singles from 1998. Um, So now it's time for us to all choose a song that charted that year that didn't necessarily make it to number one that we can all uh, talk about. So... My name is Casey Atkins. With me, as always, is Danny Yao. Hello. Tim Coyle. I don't make films, but if I did, there'd be a samurai. (laughs) (laughs) And down the line from the Gold Coast, Tim Byron. Hope the smoking man's in this one. He may well be. Um, It's 1998. It was still going. Oh, yeah. (laughs) It was. Uh, as you a bit off track, though. By '98, yeah, it was a little bit. Was there an official shark jump by that stage, or maybe a touch like anyway? um, It it needed to be terminated. (laughs) 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 And ninety percent TV series will come later. Mm. As usual, to find out what order we talk about the songs in, we've all uh, also picked a movie from 1998, um, which are all inside of a four-sided die that we'll roll to pick which order. So if you can go around the room and tell me what movie you picked. Um, Danny, what did you choose? Uh, I chose Rushmore. Excellent. Uh, Tim Coyle? I like that Danny's pretending any other film came out in 98 other than (laughs) The Big Lebowski. (laughs) (laughs) And Tim Byron? I'm choosing Pleasantville, uh, mostly because Fiona Apple's version of Across the Universe is just great. Fantastic. And I chose American History X, just a nice heart warmer from that year. Um, <laughs> a little romantic comedy. That's right. <laughs> I'm to American History XXX. Oh, well, yes. Well, yeah, we'll talk about that later on the um, After Dark version of 90 Seconds. <laughs> <laughs> That one's pay-per-view. <laughs> Peach Pit After Dark. Um, All right, so we may as well get started. Um, Danny, you've got the die, so if you'll roll it for us. And it has come up with American History X, so it's actually me to start off with. So, as usual, we'll go around the table and figure out, or if the guys could tell me what you thought that I might choose for this week, Tim Coyle. I thought you'd choose One Week by the Bare Naked Ladies. Interesting. Tim Byron? I thought you'd, you'd choose Prisoner of Society by The Living End. Fair enough. And Danny, what did you think I'd choose? Uh, well, I thought you'd choose The Way by Fastball. Aha. So, one person got it right. That was Tim Coyle. Ladies and gentlemen, One Week by Bare Naked Ladies. It's been one week since you looked at me. Cocked your head to the side and said I'm angry. Five days since you laughed at me. Saying, get back together, come back and see me. Three days since the living room. I realized it's all my fault, but couldn't tell you yesterday. So that was uh, One Week by Bare Naked Ladies. Um, the song that I chose 
from the list of top 100 selling singles from 1998, which incidentally, the list we always post on the blog the, the weeks that these episodes come out and we post them on the Facebook and we love to hear the songs that you would have chosen as well. But um, for now, let's talk about why I chose <laughs> yeah, one you, week. You don't have a podcast, but we'll talk about ours. <laughs> we have Get a discussion. Get your own podcast, fuckers. <laughs> we love good listeners, do we not? <laughs> Anyway. It's been one week since they listened to us, so... <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. Anyway. Um, so I loved this song in 1998. It was one of those real um, songs. I just literally could not get enough of this song. They played it a lot on Triple J, so I didn't have to wait particularly long to hear it at any given time, but I both bought the one-week EP and I bought the stunt album. Um, and... At the time, I loved um, the song and that album and DP I can't remember much from, but I do remember bits and pieces of the record. I don't know much either side from the Bare Naked Ladies. They're one of those bands that's like one of the biggest things that Canada has, like in Canadian, Canada, Canadian Canadia. music, Canada. <laughs> the, one of the biggest things in Canadian music in terms of like within Canada and I think just broke out to the rest of the world with this song and this song only but have always been bubbling along in the background um, and yeah I, lo- I love this song and I love this um, this record at the time I was expecting this week to be a bit sort of embarrassed by it when I went back and listened to it but no nah, fuck it I still love it It's I think this song is absolutely awesome the rest of the songs on the record not so much but this uh, but this song specifically absolutely amazing and I just love it I don't know what it is about it I love the little references so we've already had those references about the smoking man and those bits and pieces um, it intrigues me to this day and this is something I want to talk to you about, Tenny, and we've kind of talked about this before as well. This idea of... So, I reckon one guy bought in the, the main hook, the, mm-hmm. the chorus, and went, huh, so I've got this hook, let's, you know, work with it. And then another guy goes, well, how about I go? But a bit of a bit like, how, do, how does that happen? How does that come together? And how does everybody just go, yeah, that works. What? <laughs> like... Yeah, it's a bit of a cut and paste job. Yeah. Sounds like to some degree, doesn't it? Like the two things, and then they they make it they make it paste together quite well with all the great oh, little sections and whatever. For but, sure. Um, but yeah, I still love it. And Ben Naked Ladies themselves, yeah. But this song I still reckon is absolutely fantastic. And I'm sure we'll talk about this uh, a lot more later. But um, my favourite Weird Al moment is their parody <laughs> of this song. Uh, Danny, let's go to you since we already heard from you. Uh, well. Might as well say at this point that mm. I also chose One Week as my favourite song from this year, but then uh, I think for some reason Casey, we gave it to Casey. I hit the button first. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Casey posted first, so we gave it to Casey. You so, snooze and you lost. <laughs> yes, I snow. Or snows? Yeah, I snows <laughs> and I lost. And uh, so. Snows. Which is fine, which is fine. Um, but this band, uh, yeah, I'm the same as you. I love this song when it came out. It was obviously the first thing I ever heard of them. I bought Stunt. I really like that record. There's a couple of great songs in that record. And around this time, I was really into a band called Sloan. Right. And uh, I bought this fantastic book called Have Not Been The Same, which is the history of Canadian independent music from about 80 to, to about 98, 99. And it is about, you know, three inches thick in terms of book. It's a massive thing. 
And there's a whole chapter which would, in any other sense, be a book about the bare naked ladies. Right. And from there, I discovered all the early stuff, the Yellow Tape, which is the first thing they ever put out, the older albums like Gordon and things like that, and um, the big songs they had in Canada, and then followed them for a couple of records. Still kind of, you know, when they do something to this day, I still kind of go, oh, yeah, check it out. But um, but this is definitely where it started for me. So I'll, I can talk a bit more about Bare Naked Ladies uh, later. But in terms of this song, yeah, it's fantastic. It rocks. There's so much going on. It it has that shine of, yes, it's kind of maybe polished to the point of being a radio hit. Mm, mm, mm. But on the other hand, it's so weird. So there's really something great about that. I spent many, many, many weeks trying to learn all the lyrics to it. And, yeah, listening to it this week, it's a song that I listen to every so often because it comes on the iPod and it still sounds really fresh. My, my other comment about this song before I move on is just that it doesn't necessarily sound 90s. It does sound like a song that could come out today. Like, it yeah. just sounds really fresh and doesn't really sound dated. So, Or it just sounds like that classic American radio single that is maybe still going. But, yeah, great song, great band. Uh, yeah, I loved it. Cool. Uh, Tim Byron. Yeah, for me, I sort of, One Week was one of those songs that, you know, it was on the radio, it was all right, but I never really paid much attention to it. Um, it, was, it was just kind of there. And, um, and yeah, so, I, you know, I knew the song pretty well because it was a bit hard to, to escape in 1998. It was just sort of everywhere. It didn't really matter whether you listened to Triple J or to Today FM, it was going to be on the radio. It's just one of those songs. And, um, yeah, but I never, just never really paid that much attention to it. It was nice and stuff and had a nice video, but, yeah, I was just a bit meh about it. Hmm. And listening to it this week and actually paying attention to it for probably once, you know, close to the first time. Um, the thing that I, I realized listening to it was, wow, Canadian white guys rapping. It sounds like Informer by Snow. <laughs> <laughs> it has, is that a, has that same sort of like slightly reggae-ish toasting-y kind of thing that he's doing. And, and so I was listening to it and I just couldn't quite get Informer by Snow out of my head, which is a weird kind of kind of thing and so I was, I was curious about Bare Naked Ladies and, and where they'd come from and why they sounded like this and none of their other stuff had that kind of rapping in it it was just this song as far as I could tell of their kind of big singles that had been big in Canada that was, that was like this and as far as I can tell they were kind of like half sort of they had a bit of like the Whitlands in there or something yeah. like that and a bit of They Might Be Giants in there yep. like the kind of wackiness kind of thing yep. and they I... had sort of a bit of that kind of just sort of standard alt rock stuff you'd expect to see playing at the bronze on Buffy kind of stuff in there as well. And, um, yeah, so it was interesting. Obviously, like, yeah, the rapping was something they did as, like, a joke, and so they were just sort of... Like, you can tell in the lyrics that you can just tell that they were just filling it with the stuff that they were into, like, you know, the X-Files and Sailor Moon and all this kind of cultural stuff that was there. And so it's, it's kind of a cool... Um, look back at what it was like to live in 1998 when the yeah. files was big. And, and so, like, to me, it, it doesn't quite sound like today. It does sort of sound like uh, a modern rock track from 1998. It really does. And um, I, as a whole, I'm not quite sure whether I like it or not. Like, part of me is like, yeah, this is really cool. And part of me is like, this sounds like Informer. And, and, like, and those two parts of me have and sort of are arguing still, and neither one of them has won out. So it's kind of like Schrodinger's song for me. Like I kind of like it, and I kind of don't like it, and I'm confused. Nice. Tim Coyle, explain to me whether I should like this or not. Um, look, uh, when this first came out, I found it a hell of a lot of fun, and I think the thing with this song is. Like, the way I listen to music is, I find something I like, I will just beat the crap out of it as far as listening to it. I just obsessively listen to things mm. when I like them. And the thing is, this just fell apart 
under too much scrutiny. Right. Um, because, you know, it's a hell of a lot of fun, but there's not a lot there. It's not particularly deep or fascinating. It's not doing anything that interesting melodically beyond some of that kind of rap slash skanking thing um, that's going on in the verses. Uh, I really like the chorus, and what I like is also it starts with that chorus. It's just yeah. like, you know, this is the like best that. thing we've got going for this, let's just <laughs> go with it. And, and it just yeah. comes in like a freight train. Just like I and built this city on rock and roll. She loves you. And she loves you, yeah. Can't buy me love. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I really, really like that. Um, but as I said, um, listened to it far too much, and there was like, eh, it's kind of lame in some ways. So law of diminishing and, returns. Yeah, very much a law of diminishing returns thing. And the thing is, uh, under a lot of scrutiny, I just started seeing the the DNA that they shared with something like Smash Mouth, who, yeah, which okay. I fucking hated. Yeah, okay. <laughs> and, and that was kind of the thing. So I put it on the back burner. Listening to it this week, the first time I heard it this week, I was like, oh yeah, there it is again. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, that's the thing, that chorus just comes smashing in on the headphones. I'm like, it's been. Yeah, and then it's just kind of like, chickeny China, the Chinese chicken? Sure, why not? It's, <laughs> <laughs> that's wonderfully insane. <laughs> and then after about three listens, it's kind of like, yeah, I, 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 I could say, you know, I, I like this, but I'll probably go another 12 years without listening yeah, okay. to it. So um, the other thing uh, to mention is talking about w- whether it's dated or not. I think this is a classic. If you want to say it's 1998 on a TV show, yeah, you put this on. I think even Veronica Mars made that very joke that, oh, we're Canada and we're pretending it's the 90s. Put being an accurate like ladies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, isn't there a thing that they still... and Like, they kind of show up in movies all the time. Like, kind of what um, you said, I think, Byron, about them being one of the bands playing in the background in Buffy. Like, didn't they... Weren't they, like... The band playing the house party of about half a dozen teen movies over the last, yeah, sure. you know. Well, you know, the, 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 the most recent claim to fame by them is that they do the theme song to The Big Bang Theory. Is that them? Yeah. Right. Okay, so that's them doing their um, best, best, best They Might Be Giants impression. Well, exactly. I, mean, I think They <laughs> Might yeah, Be Giants. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. Not only with the, is They Might Be Giants a very good comparison, um, they were, I think, on. Electra, so hence they were on the same label at the right. same time as they might be Giants and Ween. Right. And so maybe, I don't know, but the same person who thought that those two indie bands was worth major label support probably thought this one was. Uh, it's probably not surprising. You know, that was the era where someone was thinking quirky pop could be commercialised. And they were fucking right. Yeah, I mean, they were right with yeah. this song. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, ab- absolutely. I mean, it was a worldwide hit for Ben Naked Ladies. So Danny is probably the only one that has said that they've paid any attention to Ben Naked Ladies either side of this. Um, the other guys, have you, like, do you know other songs? Uh, does yeah. anything stick out in your mind? The one that I didn't realise was by the Bare Naked Ladies, but which I heard on the radio all the time and I still hear on the radio, is also from Stunt, is It's All Been Done. It's All Been Done, yeah. It's yeah, a yeah. fantastic which, um, song. This is the second yeah, single, it's, yeah. It's a, which is a great kind of like, you know, American, like mm. modern rock track kind of thing. And it's got this great sort of organ part in the chorus with a do-do-do-do-do-do-do, oh, which yeah, I, yeah. I listen for every time and I'm like, yeah, great organ part. <laughs> you know what? It's I got that well, that's the so thing. Well. I have to yeah. say that I'm surprised that Tim Byron doesn't like this band because they are so up your street. Like this, it, we are in the sort of song two territory again of where there was so much money to be made if you were to pump it all into one single. 
and that's obviously what the record company did. But as a band, they were that five, six piece, so musical, but mm-hmm. not in a spin doctor's funk kind of way. And so clever, <laughs> so funny, so melodically interesting. Everyone's does interesting things. Um, they were, I mean, not to jump, but you know, like they were a lot like maybe one of the other bands we're going to talk about later tonight. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, I definitely love them and it's all been done. Yeah. was definitely. What was the Brian Wilson songs? Is it just called Brian Wilson? It's called Brian yes. Wilson. Yeah. And then there's Be My Yoko Ono. Yes. Was another one of yep. the big singles. If I Had a Million Dollars. Well, okay. So you mentioned ones. three songs from the Yellow Tape. Okay. Five track tape that they put out independently that they funded themselves in for a couple of thousand dollars. They went to the studio, they recorded it, and that was it. Okay. They were going to sell them at shows. Ends up being the only platinum selling EP in Canada of all time. <laughs> right. And got them their career, signed them to Warner Brothers. All those tracks were re-recorded for their first album, Gordon. Uh-huh. So that yellow tape is very interesting. It's um, like in this book, basically makes a case that Bare Naked Ladies in a way was the REM of Canada. Because of that tape and every record store wanting to get that tape into their stores, they had to do a deal with a distributor. This happened again for another band we're going to talk about later tonight when a song was so big that every Sanity and every Sprashes had to do a deal with MDS or something like that. Yeah. And then to do a minimum order, they ordered some Bare Naked Lady stuff and then they ordered a couple of Reostatics or Blue Rodeo or something else and then got all these other bands' careers started because of the Bare Naked Lady. Yeah, so I- they still get a lot of good cred for that. They were the first real indie band college Breakthrough. Yeah, I've kind of got to confess, I, I haven't explored the bare naked ladies a whole a whole lot, and you know the band neither. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> I've, I've got another story to tell when you're finished. <laughs> no, but um, kind of, it, it was a case of I thought, yeah, maybe I should give these guys a little bit of an exploration. A few years later, and it was actually just after I'd seen a Canadian band called the Saltines. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, Who were very much influenced by these guys. And after listening to the Bare Naked Ladies, I was kind of like, well, it's it's not much better than what these guys were doing, but these guys were the influence on. Uh And I can see that in a lot of that particular generation of Canadian pop rock um, music. So I, I think what Danny's talking about is if you didn't quite make that discovery and you weren't quite there, you weren't kind of seeing how that influence played out. Mm. And it's like, I'd already listened to that next generation first and found that more interesting. Sure. So just because that was the first I heard. Well, and it's one of those things that happens a lot where even with, um, you know, a record of a certain band, the one that you get to first, you know, often can, is often your favourite record, yeah. whether or not the yeah. one before it is yeah. arguably a better record or whatever, yeah. Um, yeah. What I was going to say is it's interesting that what you're saying, Danny, about them still having um, a whole lot of cred for those kind of reasons and, and we're talking about the influence they have. I still hear Bare Naked Ladies used as a punchline to a lot of jokes, though. <laughs> yeah. You know, well, still... that's the community one, like B&L, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. Uh, but the, the one thing I wanted to say is that just before I came over, I sent Danny a text message saying, I'm just going to get on the next train because, you know, I'm, I'm ready, but I'm going to be a little bit early. And he sent me a, a message back saying, that's okay. I'm just watching live bare naked ladies videos. <laughs> and then and then another text message two minutes later, the band. <laughs> 
you just never know who's reading your text messages. <laughs> okay, can I get a roll of the dice, please? And it's come up with Pleasantville. So that is Tim Byron's choice. And as usual, let's go around the room and see what we thought Tim Byron was going to choose. Tim Coyle. Oh, there's quite a long story behind this one, but I went for Brick by Ben Folds. Okay, then. Yeah, I, I also went for Brick by Ben Folds. I went for um, Brick by Ben Folds 5. Uh, Tim. Turns out that I picked Polyester Gold by Regurgitator. Polyester Girl by Regurgitator from their record Unit from 1998. Tim Byron, uh, tell us why you picked Polyester Girl and not Brick by Ben Folds 5. <laughs> well, I am a Ben Folds fan, but we'll, uh, but we'll get to talking about that at the end of the podcast. Okay. I guess. Um, but yeah, Polyester Girl, I, I looked through the list and Polyester Girl was the song that I, I looked at and I was like, that's the one, that's the one I want to talk about. But I kind of figured that someone else would pick it first. And so I was kind of like, uh, I was trying to figure out, oh, sh- should I wait and see if someone else is going to pick it first and then I can pick something else? And then I thought, nah, fuck it, I'm just going to put my, my picks in. So we'll see what, uh, how that all ends up going later in the podcast. But Polyester Girl, um, I mean, to be honest, it's probably like my fourth or fifth favourite single by Regurgitator from Unit. Like, it's a great song, but they had some great songs on Unit. Unit was just like great single after great single. And yeah. it, to me, Unit was just, as an album, was just uh, amazing. It was like, there was a bit of filler on it. Like, it's probably about half filler, in fact. <laughs> but um, the stuff that isn't filler is just great. And um, Polyester Girl is just one of the great songs on it. Like, I, I love that they were a band that was like an alt-rock band from Australia who were doing this kind of like 80s-y kind of synthy kind of stuff that was like, it was so, um, it was so odd and funny. Like they were just hilarious as far as I was concerned. I just thought they were the, the most funny band and they were just so snarky and, and sarcastic. And, and I love that. And Polyester Girl, uh, I, one of the reasons why I picked this song was in 1998, I had a keyboard that had like, that I probably recent had recently got a keyboard that had a MIDI in into it and 1998 was one of the 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 years like when um mp3s were still a bit too big in terms of file size to download on the internet and so there was this huge kind of thing on the internet of midi files where people would download and listen to like midi files of the songs they liked yeah and so one of the songs that one of the things i was doing around then musically was i was making midi files and one of the ones i remember making was polyester girl because it was a song that 
sounds like a MIDI file anyway, really. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, and, and so... And so, yeah, so the MIDI files of 1998 is something that I have a fondness for. And so I, I made one for Polyester Girl and it was useful to try and to do these MIDI files to try and understand how, for me, how songs worked, like what the different bits of the songs were and what the bass line did and what sort of the, the chords did and all that kind of stuff and, and how different sounds worked. And so to me, like listening to Polyester Girl now, it's got that about it for me as well, that like it, it's a song that reminds me of, of making MIDI files in 1998. But as a song, it's great. It's like this... You know, basically a song about a blow-up doll yeah. that, that he's taking with him, like, you know, the, the the narrator of the song is taking with him to, like, awards ceremonies and stuff like that. <laughs> you know, the, the idea of this sort of plastic girlfriend. And, like, I, I just loved the idea at the time of, of the plasticness of of the stuff that was around us and of making this very plastic-sounding song about a plastic person. And, uh, and yeah, I think I still think it's a great song. I still think Unit is, you know, that, that you know, Half to two thirds of unit that's just great is still great, and um, yeah, Regurgitator could do anything they wanted to do. And right then, what they wanted to do was ATC kind of stuff, and I loved that at the time. Even though I thought most of the ATC kind of stuff that I'd heard was pretty crap at the time. I've come around on the eighties a bit, but yeah, Regurgitator were the first little snippet of eightiesness that I came to like, and so they were quite big for me as a result. Awesome, uh, Tim Coyle. Yeah, I. I well, um, <clears throat> excuse me. I, I'd really liked um, Regurgitators um, from Two Plane, and obviously Unit was quite a departure. And the story goes that I think Regurgitator supported Helmet on a tour uh, in the preceding year, and were just completely freaked out by the audiences that came to hard music gigs. And right. so this was a bit of a, a reaction to that that they'd make bright, shiny soulless pop kind of stuff because they just couldn't handle that kind of vibe anymore. Um, so yeah, Quan just kind of, uh, knuckled down and started writing these bizarre demented man child songs such as this one. Um, and yeah, they're so insanely silly, but so engaging at the same time. And the thing is, look, there's not a lot of, there's no musical depth to this. There's no lyrical depth to it. But that's the point. He's talking about a culture and a society that is all surfaces. But he's not doing it in a self-serious way at all. Um, he, he's having fun with it. And the thing is, it's like, we did Barbie Girl a couple of weeks ago, which does the exact same themes as this song. But it's mm. trying so hard to be a satire. Whereas yeah. this is just, he's not trying. He's just like, okay, I'll write a silly song about a blow-up doll. And it actually is a much more potent um, satire of that kind of aspect of the culture. Uh, listening to it now, it's got all that baggage with it, so I still really enjoy it. Um, as Tim Byron says, there are quite a few other songs on Unit which outstrip this mm. considerably. So, song formerly known as in Black Bugs. Oh, yeah. Uh, far superior songs, but this one's still uh, a lot of fun. And, um, yeah, as far as I was concerned in 1998, Regurgitator could, could do no wrong. And, yeah, I uh, was really happy that this bizarrely took off. And, um, yeah, kind of a lot of listening to it now. The, the one thing that kept popping into my head listening to it this week is just kind of Jeff Koons. Jeff Koons, who is kind of a pop artist, a contemporary pop artist who 
he makes installations of these big shiny plastic things and okay. I think he also went on to marry a former porn star and <laughs> stuff like that and does the whole demented man-child thing but he does it as his entire existence rather than a, sing- a song so. <laughs> Danny uh, so in 1996 Regurgitator one of my favourite bands Unit to this day is one of my favourite records it was a very very important record 1996 1996 when um, Two Plane came out oh okay and uh, and it's it's really interesting because obviously there was just that really sort of interesting thing that there were two Asian guys in that band and I'm an Asian guy. Right. Uh, I didn't. Yes, yes. And I was were already. There? I don't see color like Stephen Colbert. <laughs> and I was also. Uh, You're Asian. I also really? made the decision to be, to be straight edge and. Uh, oh they were, seriously. They were already like a sort of straight edge sort of band and they sang that. Um, couple of songs about that in the first record and uh, I love but I was into them well before that first record those first two EPs the Hamburger EP and New I loved them to mm. death uh, I uh, went to a signing when Unit came out at Brashes and waited two hours to get my copy of Unit signed by the band uh, and then I got home and listened to the record and I hated it right and I hate it to this day there's two good songs on there <sighs> it is a cold cold record that I just don't relate to uh, interestingly, like, you know, in, through my years, you know, I have a conversation about this record all the time. I've argued with heads of record companies about how shit this record is, who loved it. Um, it just was not the regurgitator record that I wanted, and I'm that guy. Yep. They lost fans uh, here. But so, Danny, you're basically saying that you like their old stuff better than, better than the new stuff. stuff. <laughs> yeah, which is, you know, look, I, I don't know where they're going to now, but that's my problem with this record. I was listening to so much music then. And this record was a uh, record of one joke. Mm. And I've quoted this quote a million times now, and I'll probably say it again later in this podcast, but that Ben Folds thing of, if you're going to write text, you might as well write subtext. subtext. Um, I like your old stuff better than your new stuff. The best thing about that song is the title. And, you know, and then the song is just that title. The song is the title. Yeah. <laughs> but then, then that's the thing. So, for me, I was... Uh, I. I it just didn't connect with me in any way. It was a very cold record. It was very... And, you know, that's the thing. You can say that Regurgitator made fun of me by doing it, but I don't think that forgives it. Because the other song that they did, which is actually I quite like, is called I Like Repetitive Music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is so repetitive. Like, there's no there's no real arrangements to these songs and stuff like that. This song in particular, I hated. It was probably my least favourite song of this record, mainly because it got so commercial. And you could just go... I was still going to Regurgitate gigs. I went to Regurgitate gigs... Well and, well and truly up to, like, uh, Eduardo. And then um, there were just 60-70% of the crowd knew this one song and didn't get the joke. Mm. And mm. it was just like, fuck, you know, it just... it. This was the song that pretty much killed it for me with Regurgitator. I love the band. I love a lot that they did after this record. But this experiment where they tried to be fake commercial, I think, made them really commercial. And they lost the plot. The drummer left, and they were never the same. That's it's really interesting because when the stuff from Unit first came onto the radio, I really didn't like it either, and I was really disappointed, and I was really like, "Oh, damn it!" You know, I was I, I went like I had that kind of reaction when I first heard the stuff from Unit um, because I was expecting another, you know, Kung Fu Sing kind mm. of <laughs> thing out of them. You know, that was that was what I wanted, yeah. and I love that. You know, the sound of two playing and, and what what it. Yeah. Uh, it's it's energy and um, you know the band sound that really it had. Inventive. Yeah. yeah, 
And then, and this came out and I was like, ah, fuck it, damn it. All right, lost them too. And then I really came around to it. It didn't take me that long, probably like maybe a couple of years, but only a couple of years. And I remember I went back to it. I think I, and it was Black Bugs that brought me around to this record. Yeah. And I still love that song to this day. It's actually my favorite song from the album. (laughs) Yeah. And I, and I don't know, I just started hearing, Maybe it was when Black Bugs came as a single. It was a single, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Or I, you know, when that just occurred to me that I, I really liked that song and then I saw the album relatively cheaply and I... Oh, no, it was actually when they did a reboot. It was the unit rebooted that I bought. Uh, unit rebooted, yep. Yeah. With the videos. That's right. I had like the bonus disc um, and that that was the version that I bought of Unit and I, and I thought, Let, let's give this another go. And I thought, yeah, fuck it. I was wrong the first time and this is actually great. And so I came, I came back around and, and appreciated what they, what they did and what they went for. Um, this song is not my favorite song on it. Like I've said, Black Bugs is my favorite, but it's not, but this song isn't even my second favorite, kind of like you, Tim. Um, yeah. It's not my second, third or fourth favorite. I think I'd like, um, Black Bugs, I think. Um, exclamation I, I, mark could be up there. Exclamation mark could be up there. Uh, Modern Life, I think is great. Um, yeah. You know, I, I just think there is a there are a number of great moments on this record that just really prop it up. Maybe there's a bit of filler, yeah, but um, there. What you're calling one, two, three, four filler? <laughs> <laughs> but it keeps. Um, yeah. I will lick your asshole. <laughs> <laughs> But, but just another beautiful story, which wasn't a single, is Grey. That's probably one of my favourites yeah. on the album. Right. The very last song. But I, like, I, I think it's sort of continually propped up. Like maybe there's a, a song that's a bit of a down moment. Then the next one you're like, oh, yeah, fuck, here we go again kind of thing. And that's, yeah. that's how I find the flow of this record. And, and, I, and I love it for that. And I think it's great. And in, in a way, it made me... Um, when I heard that Regurgitate were putting more stuff out, it made me think, okay, what are they doing this time kind of thing? And I and I, yeah. um, I really love it for that, and I love them for that now, still to this day. So um, and I've seen them, not heaps, but a few times. I think the times in the early 2000s when I was going to a lot of home bakes and big day outs were when yeah. they were in seemingly a bit of a lull. I didn't see them a lot, um, but I've seen them a few times and, and thought they were great. Um and yeah, the drummer left, but Pete Costick from um, Front End Loader plays with him now, and he's rad. So, yeah, sure. You know. Um, <laughs> um, but yes. Yeah, so, leave. <laughs> yeah. And we'll talk about another band with um, a bit of a revolving drummer policy as well sure. as we go on later. I, I think it's more just because I saw every single gig that happened, and you could just tell by the end of the unit tour, yep. in which I probably saw them four times. Right. They were just a joke of themselves, and they were playing to huge crowds that were just not giving a shit about anything other than Polyester Girl. and But, but like, doesn't it come back around to something that you were sort of saying last week when we were talking about the Goo Goo Dolls, where, yeah, sure. like, don't don't they deserve to... Doesn't a band like this deserve to be able to all go and buy a house and... and yeah, and, and, you and, know? I, I, and I totally wish them the best, but... But it doesn't mean you have to like the song. Yeah, yeah. and, and, and <laughs> like, uh, to, for... Like... Hit singles are great. And Ben Naked Ladies, I'm glad they had a hit single. But I like the song. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I in- genuinely like uh, Polyester Girl as a, as a single. I think it's a great song. It's 
it's probably the fifth best song on the album or something like that, but that's still a really good song um, as far as I'm concerned. But yeah, I, I'm actually surprised that Danny actually was the person who liked their old stuff better than their new stuff. Yeah. I don't know if you ever heard it, but there was a song that they played a little bit on Triple J later, which was called I Like Your Old Remix Better Than Your New Remix. Yeah, and yeah, as yeah. far as I can tell, that was the um, the version of that song. was probably the original version before they decided to turn it into this electronic-y kind of thing with vocoders and stuff. And um, and that was had more lyrics in it. You probably would have liked that, Danny. No, no, I, I know the song. I mean, I, yeah. I bought all their records up until Eduardo and whoever it was okay. versus the T-Rex, whatever. No, but... Um, <laughs> uh, Oh, no, I really like Happiness. I really liked the art record. Uh, I thought that was a bit of bit more interesting. It's just... Yeah, look, I, I've already said I'm not going to be too much of a point of it, but, like, the, the song I Like Your Old Stuff Better Than Your New Stuff is indicative of why I don't like that record because mm. it's just like... Yeah, I get it. What, what's There were deeper ideas in Unit. There were deeper ideas in art. Uh, and this was just... Yeah, I don't know. It was a very cold record. It's a very cold sounding record. It is a very cold sounding record, but I, but also, I so emotionally cold record for me. But I see it. Do you as... think that because it's got? Um, do you just see that because it's got synths and stuff on it? Is that where the coldness comes for you? No, I mean we. Oh, okay, I don't want to just be the negative nanny here, but like, um, look, let me let me just say this one thing: the best regurgitator song ever is on this record, though. And Which it's the song formerly known as the song formerly known as, right? Well, yeah. yeah, I mean, song yeah, I think I known, yeah, song formerly known as is one of my favorite ever Australian songs. Yeah, mm. yeah, of all time, it's so, incredible. Yeah. I will it's better say than that most Prince songs. It is. It is just. Uh, it is just a perfect song, and if uh, there's an energy and a and a mm. and there's something to say in that song that is really quite sweet, you know. Yeah, yeah. And but I miss lots that. of songs on Unit have that. Like to have something I sweet or interesting asshole. to say. <laughs> Maybe not that one. <laughs> it's sweeter on the inside than it looks just from the title of the song. But you know, like just. Oh. 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 That came out really wrong. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's better than it was on Okay, we'll uh, roll that four-sided die again. We'll see how we go on. And it's come up as Big Lebowski, which brings us to Tim Coyle's choice. And again, before we know what song Tim Coyle chose, uh, let's see if we can guess. So, uh, Tim Byron, what do you think Tim Coyle was going to choose? I wasn't entirely sure what Tim Coyle... I kind of suspected he might choose Polyester Girl if I didn't get in first. And so I thought maybe it would be that, or maybe it would be Sex and Candy by Marcy Playground. Fair enough. Uh, Danny? Uh, I thought it was he was going to choose polyester girl. And for some, like I find you really hard on these, Tim. Right, really, really hard. And hey, that's what she said. <laughs> <laughs> the fact that we started turning all of the nineteen ninety eight movies into porn films before we started recording tonight is not really helping the general <laughs> no, vibe of the proceedings. It's after dark. Yeah, it's getting earlier and earlier. <laughs> Turned into a hardcore pornography channel, yeah. so daylight savings has gone. And for some reason, I thought you may have chosen "Sway" by Big Runga, which I thought was a great song, and I thought it may have been up your alley. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> um, However, I chose "Brick" by Ben Folds. Five. <laughs> yes, thank you. <laughs>
6 a.m. day after Christmas I throw some clothes on in the dark The smell of cold, car seat is freezing The world is sleeping, I am numb Up the stairs to her apartment She is bald up on the So Bricked by Ben Folds 5, Tim Coyle, tell us why you chose that one. Okay, so... It was I, purely I, because Tim Byron didn't. I, well, yeah, I think the thing is Tim Byron and I engaged in a very elaborate game of chicken. <laughs> I knew it! Where it's like, my, yeah, my favourite song on the list was Brick by Ben Folds 5. But knowing Tim Byron is probably a bigger Ben Folds fan than I am. Yeah, I, I kind of gave him every opportunity to do it. With my second choice being polyester <laughs> in the event of that happening, which I knew full well was going to happen. And then he put polyester girl up and I'm like, oh, really? Okay, well, right, then here it's we break. <laughs> so, um, yeah, and it's on there. It was my favourite song on the list. Um, the first... Ben Fold's song I heard was Underground. Yep. Uh, a couple mm. of years earlier. It's probably is... fairly similar for, for, for all of us. Yeah. And for which, which I yeah. loved. Um, was just an incredibly energetic and arch song. Um, the, the thing I find, I mean, I'll say it up front. The thing I find about Ben Folds, he's incredibly good at writing from a young person's perspective mm-hmm. and from a teenager's perspective. And I suspect I was a pretty similar teenager to Ben Folds in a lot of ways. So a lot of his songs really resonated with me, and that first album definitely did. It just kind of had the... There were contemplative aspects, there were silly aspects. Um, it just seemed entirely all over the place, and there was a real slacker vibe to a lot of it. Yep. So I really enjoyed it. Uh, so I went out and bought uh, Whatever and Ever Amen, Uh pretty quickly after it was released. I know, because I borrowed it from you yeah. and taped it from you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the thing is, I enjoyed all the kind of... Um, the, the songs that were exactly the same as the as the self-titled album um, yep. that were kind of, you know, like the breakup song and things like that, were, which were a bit more rambunctious and stuff like that. And then there's this, which was just kind of a, a you know, a very slow and mournful ballad, which... I liked because it had that very night swimming kind of vibe with the opening piano. Oh, it is very uh, night swimming, yeah, isn't it? The opening piano kind of thing. And I was like, oh, okay, yeah. I like it. Um, but it's kind of, it's just a ballad. And <laughs> the thing is, as you go on, you kind of realise this is not 
just, just about. about. <laughs> um, and look, uh, I think we've brought it up time and time again that Ben Folds is the person who said, why write text if you can write subtext? And maybe this was the challenge for this song, to write a song that is entirely subtext yeah because that's yeah. what this song is it just not at any stage is explicit about no. its content um there's a few hints in there um i initially thought oh maybe she's getting treatment for cancer or something and then the Narrow. film and then the film clip which is again it's not stating it outright but it, it does make it's, it a lot clearer though, yeah, it? It, it, yeah it's a lot clearer than the song and then suddenly that's the light bulb moment and you're like oh shit mm. <laughs> um, and that's the thing we're talking about I think the 53rd highest selling single in Australia of 1998 that got to number 13 in the charts is a song about abortion yep. involving two teenagers and in that context that's that's an amazing thing to talk about um and granted, Australia's not the US where debate surrounding abortion is so much more intense that we can't really comprehend um, quite the levels that that reaches amongst uh, people on both sides of the divide in the US. And look, the thing is, Ben Foles didn't write this song saying, I'm staking out a position here. He was just writing a song, look, this happened to me. Yeah, it's not, it doesn't mm. really editorialise, you it's know, just, it's just, yeah, it's very... Yeah, it's just saying, yeah. this, is, this happened when I was 17. Um, and this is what I felt at the time, which was devastated. Mm. Um, and you know, he inhabits that so well and conveys that so well. And what I talked about with what, how he writes so well from a young person's perspective, getting the vulnerability there, getting the confusion that surrounds this, that yeah, he does really love this girl. And this is a decision they've made that they thought was the best one, but it's ultimately just driven them apart mm. it's just it's turned her into a brick something kind of innate and um unresponsive inert and unresponsive next to him in the car and just that kind of last line is kind of i'm alone and now i know it yeah and yeah it's devastating and look we don't talk about so we generally haven't spoken about songs this disarming and um kind of as devastating as that in this podcast before, and this is probably the only one we'll cover, but I'm, I'm glad we have because, yeah, it's kind of beyond anything else we've covered thematically. And, yeah, uh, I think it's, it's an incredible achievement that this kind of got the audience that mm -hmm. it got. And also doing my research, people on both sides of the argument, argument still really love this song. Um, it's... It, it has managed to transcend the politics surrounding yep. it. And look, I'm someone who has very strong um, views on, on on the issues surrounding this song. And yeah, uh, what I see in this is not something that I'm kind of punching the air and going right on with. I'm just kind of in the place of that 17-year-old kid, yep. utterly frightened and devastated. And yeah, I think it's really beautifully done. It's not the best Ben Fold song. Um, by mm. any stretch of the imagination, but it's quite a landmark as far as what he could do do with the content and with these songs he was writing. Mm. Um, so I think the, the natural next point is to Tim Byron. <laughs> um, so there was this little game of chicken going between the Tims this week. Mm. Yeah. Um, Have you heard of this song, Tim? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you aware of this one? Yeah, talk to us about... Um, 
about Brick and, and um, I think Ben Folds in general we'll, we'll, we'll get to, but specifically yeah. about Brick. So the first time I remember knowing that Brick existed was I remember getting the drum media, or maybe it was on the street at that point. I forget when the changeover, when, when they changed, like the Sydney uh, street press kind of stuff. And I remember on one of the pages of that, there was a, a whole page ad that was just the lyrics to Brick. Oh shit, really? Yeah, and it was just like, you know, Brick, the lyrics, and then Benfold's Five, you know, whatever, and every man in the corner at the bottom, like with the cover of the record. And I remember looking at those lyrics and, and reading through them and thinking, that's a sad song. Mm. And um, that would have been slightly before I got into Benfold's Five as a band. Like, I had really liked Underground before that, but apart from, and I really, really liked Underground, but apart from that, I hadn't um, really investigated much. And so I think Brick... As a song for me, uh, you know, I knew it was there and it was all right, but I never quite got it. I remember looking at those lyrics and thinking, I wonder what that's meant to be about. Mm. Like, I, I just had no idea that it was meant to be about abortion. And so, as a song, um, you know, the, the first Ben Folds album I, I did buy, probably after Song for the Dumped, I think Song for the Dumped was the song that appealed to me, my immature teenage self yeah um because it's probably the most immature teenage song on the album uh but yeah that was the one that appealed to me and so i bought whatever and ever amen and um and so i got to know brick it's not my favorite song on the album and in fact i kind of skipped the song on the album not because i i hate it but it just isn't usually not what i want to hear when i listen to ben folds yeah so it's, it's usually a song that i end up skipping but um but on that song it i mean it it's so perfectly put together um, it, it does leave me slightly colder than I want a Ben Fold song that's, you know, that's on this list. You know, everyone assumed I would pick it because, let's face it, I was in a band that was a three-piece that was piano, bass and drums that had big harmonies, with Casey playing drums, by the way. Um, Indeed. I, I was kind of the person who was most likely to pick this song, but instead uh, Tim and I played Chicken. <laughs> and, um, yeah, so for me... I guess with this song, like the, I love the bridge to this song. Like it's just an incredible, like the, the bridge section, the thing about I'm alone and she's alone and now we know it and that kind of stuff and tired of lies. Like those lines, that, that is just devastating and it's, um, yeah, that, that bit of the song I, I love. And so when we go and see Ben Folds live, because my partner JD is a bigger fan of Ben Folds than I am, uh, he, he usually plays that song these days and those bits always kind of, you know, send a shiver up my spine. But the rest of the song leaves me a little bit colder than I probably wanted to. But, um, but yeah, I guess that's me and Brick. Yeah. Uh, Danny? Uh, I love this song. Uh, I loved the song when it came out. I uh, discovered, like everyone else in this room, I guess, uh, Ben Folds Fire well, with Underground. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's more interestingly is that I really discovered Underground when it got to number three in the hottest 100 of whatever year it was it came out. And I'd never heard it before uh, really? that time. Well, I didn't listen to Triple J. This is around the time where That's I started right. listening to Triple yeah. J. Um, and I was like, oh, it's a song I don't even know. Like, mm-hmm. it didn't get played on commercial radio at all. Sure. So I went out and bought that first record okay. uh, and loved it. Loved it to death. And um, so, and then loved, I remember staying up for Rage to watch the Battle of Who Could Care Less, which is the first single. You know, mm. it's like the new Ben Folds clip. And it happened, mm-hmm. like, because of the delay of when I've discovered the record, it happened maybe like three, four months after I discovered the band and I had the, had the first record. Went out and bought the single for Battle of Who Could Care Less, Love It To Death, uh, and followed them ever since. Uh, Brick, back in the day, was not my favourite track off this record because I loved the energy of it. 
Uh, and I, I mean, I appreciated the art of it, and it was devastating and everything, but um, there are better songs in this record. As the years go on, and listening to it this week, and listening to the last few years, I love this song more and more. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one of those things, there's a couple of massive Ben Folds fans in this room, I'm sure. We're we all massive fans in some degree, but there's like real ones. And um, for me, the, the my favourite, favourite Ben Folds record, or Ben Folds 5 record, is Songs for Silverman, which is the saddest, most sort of um, straight ahead record. And, you know, that's the album of Brick. You know, and they're, mm. the, they're the sort of yeah. songs that are sad, devastating, don't have too much energy, he's not making too much of a joke, it's just him just trying to write 12 good songs. And that, as the years go on, it it, for, it it matches with my love of things like Randy Newman and Stephen Sondheim, which I think Ben Folds could turn into one day. And Brick is definitely the first one. The, the amount of song craft and the ability of it and how it sits together, every single part about it is utterly amazing. That said... He didn't really even write the music for this song, but I'm sure he's, um, it was the piano riff was Darren Jesse's, right? Is that right, Tim Byron? Um, I think Je- Darren Jesse came up with the chorus, like, mm. mostly came up with the chorus, and oh, Ben right. Folds came okay. up with the verses. Yeah. Maybe yeah. the piano riff could have been, like, it doesn't feel like a Ben Folds riff, so it could have been Darren's riff as well. It, but it, Ben Folds definitely wrote the lyrics to the verse. Yeah, it, it was a song he, he had been writing for years and just couldn't get a chorus to it. Oh, that's because right. Yes, I know this story. Yeah. Obvi- obviously, thematically, it's just something so close to him. And, and he, he doesn't sit there going, like, how can I pick this up? Yeah, how can I make a hook out of this? Yeah, that's yeah, just yeah, not yeah. what you're thinking yeah. when you're writing this. And luckily, he had a bandmate who was just like... Mm. The, 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 only other, <laughs> the only other thing I want to say about this song is um, Paul Westerberg for, of The Replacements has said many times in the last few years that the first three or four replacements records, which was just fun punk rock, he had to do it because all his beautiful, sad and great songs that came on the later records, he'd bring them to the band. And Bob Stinson in particular, the fat drunk guitar player, would just go, you wrote a love song, you poof. <laughs> um, and I imagine that it's it's the time where... Can, this... can you imagine that band room when androgynous <laughs> came in? Exactly. <laughs> but I imagine that this is the song where, for me anyway, that Ben Folds became a really adult songwriter, which I know is actually not a good term for a lot of people, but he, this is when he became... Yeah. Oh, no, I, don't, I, know, yeah. I know what you mean, definitely. Um, look, for me, this song, really similar to, to you guys, so Discover Ben Folds by Underground, um, didn't buy that first record, but did buy Whatever and Ever Amen eventually after wearing out the taped version that I taped from Tim Coyle. <laughs> um, but this song was one of those ones that I, yeah, I love the energy of Ben Folds. I love the humour, I love the harmonies. Um, there was so much that I loved about Ben Folds 5 that this song didn't necessarily deliver. Yet, um, when I really sort of did think about it and let it sink in, you know, and, and even at the time I, I, you know, gathered what, you know, it really is an amazing piece of music. And then somebody told me what it was about and then you go back and you listen to it again because I didn't figure it out from listening to it and somebody somebody told me and then you go back and you listen to it again you're like, oh, holy shit. And as a, you know, 17, 18-year-old listening to this song and knowing what it was about and... He really does what you said. Tim Coyle was was exactly right. He does capture those those feelings of a seventeen year old kid so beautifully well. You know, um, my favorite lyric or, or point in the song um, 
and it's almost a, well, I, I guess not throwaway, but it's no, none of the lyrics that, that, that you guys have mentioned, but I think the, the, li the line that stands out to me the most is in that middle eight section where, it's the first line in the middle eight section where it goes, as weeks went by, she showed that she was not fine. I, I, that, I find yeah. that really powerful. It's great songwriting, you know, isn't it? It's it just takes the story. Just, I find that so incredibly powerful it's, because you, there's just that whole, you just, you just see the whole, thing between them and her going, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine, yeah. don't worry, I'm fine. Yeah. And then him just going, yeah. fuck, she's not fine. Yeah. There's, this, this, incredible, there's this incredible economy to it. And I like in this song, there's a famous short story that Hemingway wrote called um, Hills White, Like White Elephants, um, which a similar thing, it's all subtext. Mm -hmm. um, it's reading between the lines of what this relationship between this man and woman is without them ever spelling out what it is. And he's just zeroing in on these tiny little moments of their behaviour towards one another uh -huh. and their conversation, which mm -hmm. never touches on it, it maybe slightly tangentially, and it's never stated, but by the end, you know exactly where these two people mm. are at. And that's an incredible ability. And look, the thing is... At the at this time, I was getting very into into my writing and was writing short mm. stories and such. And that thing that you're always told as someone who writes fiction of show don't tell, and that's what you aim for. And the thing is, that is the hardest thing in the world to be able yep. to do. And this is the perfect example of show don't tell. Yeah, no, no, and and, and he absolutely nails that. Um, and so for for all of these things, I, I think it's great. I also think it's great that it did break them through, you know? It, mm -hmm. it, it did yeah. break through the Ben Folds ben Fold 5 into other audiences. It was one of those things that, uh, look, not not to be crass about it, but kind of chicks dug it. Let's, let's face it. Like, it was yeah, one of those yeah, yeah. things that, like, it, it wasn't just, you know... Well, it, it was it, a... It was a mainstream song in the US, uh, this one. Like, it was banned mainstream in the Mainstream song, South. me too. Uh, oh, was it, it was really? Still, it was still a hit. It was still in the charts, you know? So, um, yeah. So, this was the song that definitely broke them in the US because Underground didn't have, like, a Triple J, you know, in the US to sort of push that in the same kind of way that it had here. Mm. They really did break with Brick, and that's why, yeah, you know, Whatever and Ever Amen is the album that's got the, um, you know, the reissue the with the bonus tracks and stuff. Yeah. Um, do you ever get the feeling that this is a bit like, again, pornography in extreme? Do you reckon people who like, say, James Blunt, who liked Brick, like people who would one day go on to like James Blunt, who liked Brick, went and bought the record and then just put it on and went, this song for the dumped? Yeah. Yeah. Give me my money back, you bitch. What? Is this the same girl? I don't understand. Which brings us to our last song of tonight and no need to roll the dice because it is going to come up Rushmore after five or six attempts to get it to roll the right um, the right film, I'm sure. Um, so, uh, which is, of course, Danny's film, so Danny's song, and let's uh, go around the room and see if we can figure out what Danny was going to choose or what he did choose, Tim Coyle. He's going to enjoy this. I actually chose polyester curl. Racist. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh... <laughs> Uh, Tim Byron. I thought Danny would pick Good Riddance by Green Day. Really? Okay. I th <laughs> really? <laughs> and I yeah. thought he would choose um, Sex and Candy by Marcy Playground. Yeah, right. Okay. Well, I chose uh, Prisoner of Society by The Living End.
So that was Prisoner of Society by Living End. Uh, Danny's Choice for Choose Your Own Adventure 1998. Danny, talk to us about Prisoner of Society. So I mentioned this before. This is... 1998 was probably the time I started listening to Triple J. Mm-hmm. Um, probably because, and I'll be quite frank about it, Triple M weren't playing the new You're My record. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you know? never did. Yes, they did play. Well, they probably played Heavy Heart. But, um, like, so, yeah, and I was discovering this world. I was pretty old enough to start seeing a few uh, all-age gigs and stuff like that. And I was very much into... One of my favourite records at this time was uh, Jebediah's Slightly Odd Way and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, I was getting into this world. This song is obviously a very important part of this world. I saw The Living End in this era before I turned 20, maybe 15, 20 times. Uh, okay. Manly PCYC. Yeah. Uh, loved them. I loved the first couple of EPs, this being the second one. Uh, and then, you know... That's right. So explain. So this was on... This was an EP. Yes. But then it was the on the first EP. record, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, along with Second Solution. And... Uh-huh. Uh, which didn't come out for another year or two after this. <laughs> there was a long time sitting around on this song in the EP. Uh... And it's, I think, for me, my relationship with the song was when it first came out, it was amazing. I loved it to death. Um, interestingly enough, I saw this, I saw The Living End play Warped. Okay. And there was a band on the bill called 311. Yep. Who no one remembers, which we had, which had a song them. called... Down. Down. Yeah. That had the riff that was like... Like, it was very, like, up and down. Like, anyway, go on. That's great. And then they had a song at the time called Prisoner. Okay. And Pennywise Headline heard a song at the, at the time called Society. <laughs> and I remember just going, yeah, but The Living End, who played four hours before either of those bands, blew them off stage. Yep. And you can tell that The Living End were going to be something because I remember being on the fence at that gig, being able to see the side of stage. And during the course of the oh, gig... Oh, literally on a fence. Like, yeah, on the, on the oh, front. Not yeah, metaphorically, yeah, on the, on the, like on the, on the metal barrier. You, uh, yeah, about, on the barrier, yeah. like right up the front, uh-huh. getting my ears blasted. And I could see the side of stage, and over the course of the set, mm-hmm. more members of Friends of Rom, more members of Pennywise, yep. more members of Melancholin, more members of those bands were crowding into the side of stage to watch this band. Yep. Like, the word was obviously getting around backstage that this guy, these guys are on fire. Yep. They did the Tainted Love cover that they always do. They yes. did all that sort of shtick that I'm sure we all remember, like, when they were when they came out. Get up until the first record. And uh, so, in the middle years of, of this song, it got a bit childish. It's mm-hmm. a bit of a one-note thing. I mean, it's an amazing musical and technical performance with a lot of energy, but the, what, what it says really doesn't speak anything to a 33-year-old. Listening sure. to it this week, I actually really liked it again. Like, okay. the energy and it's fun and, you know, I, I, I can maybe judge it for what it is. Um, and watching the American film clip, there's they've obviously deliberately put someone in a Jebediah t-shirt to be in the film clip. I noticed that. <laughs> and it was just like, yeah, this was the scene that they were all in and that, that, that innocence of those days. And it was just really, I felt really good about it. The guy, the, the freaking all, all like, you know, Chris and... Scott can definitely still friggin' play, and I, I would still, if you put the man in front of me, I'd pay attention. When they put a new song out, pay attention. But this song is pretty, it's probably still their best song for me. Okay, cool. Uh, Tim Byron, you next. Yeah, for me, um, the first thing I remember about The Living End was the song From Here On In, which I remember being on Triple J. Yes. Six or so. And yes, yes. From Here On In, yeah. I thought it was a great song. That was a song I taped off the radio mm-hmm. uh, and, and would go back and listen to because I had like a bunch of tapes, of tape stuff I'd taped off the radio. 
Yeah, um, mostly a triple M and triple J, and that was the one that triple J played a bit. So yeah, you know, those like ones that. where those ones where you really hope that the DJ wouldn't talk over the um, wouldn't talk over the song, so you could actually get the whole thing on the tape. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Bloody DJs. And um, yeah, when uh, Prisoner of Society came around, I listened to it, and it's it's just one of those songs that. Um, I mean, to be honest, I don't really like it that much. I think it's a bit one note, but like at the same time, that one note is you hear it and it's just so obviously a hit. Like yeah. it just is so obviously the kind of song that, you know, it's, it's so shouty and chanty and like, it's, it's in a way like sort of pub thumping by Chumbawamba in that like, you know, when you have something that's so much fun to chant out at a home bake gig or something like that, it's going to be a hit. It, it's, it's, it's unavoidable. Yeah. But, like, for me, this song is a bit one note. Um, I like probably most of the Living End stuff better than this, apart from that kind of fun chanty at a festival kind of thing. Like, I, I would have fun chanting it at a festival if I went to the next home boat and they still play this and, and that kind of stuff. But the thing I remember about this song was that um, it was a joke. Like, Chris Cheney wrote this as a joke. He yeah. right. he didn't... He thought it was all a... You know, it was a big joke that was just meant to be a B-side and Triple J started playing it. Um, like second solution was meant to be the single, and this was just meant to be like a, a shitty B side that he tossed off. Yeah. And um, and so when Triple J started playing it, they were like, oh, I guess so. This has to be the single, and thus they have a career still. Yeah. Um, though they probably would have had one anyway. But yeah, to to me, like I, I can't really hear this and not hear like hear that it's a joke and that they're just doing like a piss take of the whole um, anti-authority punk thing that like everyone was sort of doing at the time. Like you know, like the like Danny was saying, there was this band with a song called Prisoner, another one with a song called Society. Put the two together, here we get Prisoner yeah. of Society. You know, you yeah, know, it, it's it's very much like that, and so I can't sort of. It's not a song I can take seriously now, um, but you know, it's hard to deny at the same time. Like it's just something about the the beat of it and the rhythm of it. But you know, when it comes down to it, I like stuff like West End Riot and All Tore Down and Roll On better than I like this. But yeah, oh well, cool, uh, cool. Yeah, I, I mean, kind of... Look, I think Tim Byron's right. It was meant as a joke, and it very obviously was it was meant as a joke, although I couldn't tell at the time. I think this is a dog of a song. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, look, I, Fair enough. And the thing is, most of that is baggage from the time, because, look, I, I mean, by this stage, I've listened to so much of the, the punk stuff that this is... This is referencing, and look, The Clash were one of my favourite bands at this stage. And um, also, where I was, I'd read so much radical literature and that kind of thing that this just seems so puerile. Yeah. And the thing is, it's sure. meant to be because, as Tim Byron says, it's, it's, it's a, a piss joke. Take. Yeah. You know, he was, yeah, doing a piss take of these very immature um, ways of approaching a punk song. And I took it the wrong way when I was. 17, yep. thinking, uh, and the thing is, there's a build-up to this, because you've got bands like Green Day calling themselves punk, yep. uh, and, and that thing, and just, yeah, my thinking, uh, yeah, you're not punk, yeah. you know, where, where is the real actual, um, there's no real rebellion there, there's no actual insight into society or injustice or that kind of thing so i really hated it because it was all those things in this song admittedly as a piss take but also this was a case of p 
people who like shouty songs at school suddenly thinking they were punk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, that rubbed me up the wrong way because, you know, I was the guy those guys were beating up a while ago and the whole ethos of a lot of the punk I was listening to was so against that. Yep. And, yeah, punk was something I felt was for me at the time. Um, I have softened to it over time the song or living in general or no 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 look i i need to qualify this i love the living end i think they're amazing i think chris cheney is amazing uh an amazing musician and look in this song there's definitely moments where his musicianship just shines through his guitar playing and some of the soloing is fantastic but look the thing is second solution as the actual a side of this song is so far superior Mm. to this that you know, it's night and day yep. um, with these two. But, yeah, I've softened a little bit to this song, largely because, yeah, I know the intent behind it now and I can actually appreciate the the musicianship that I was talking about. But still, this is... It is a parody of a punk song, but I think a lot of people who grew up with it still listen to it as though it's intended seriously and for some reason that really bugs me and yeah i just can't listen to it without that baggage fair enough look this it's really interesting because of the three bands um that or the three songs that you guys have brought to the table tonight so we've got living end ben folds five and and regurgitator and they're all bands that i really like and three songs that are nowhere close to my favorite song by those three bands and they're the ones that chart and they're the ones that chart (laughs) you know yeah um so your favorite bare naked ladies song actually (laughs) yes absolutely (laughs) um which would be the one that charted hey who knew um Look, Prison of Society doesn't mean a lot to me. Um, I never really liked it at the time. I think I associated again with... Yeah, it was one of those ones where the people who liked this song um, were kind of the knobs. But then, um, you know, when you said... I'd actually forgotten about From Here On In, and that's amazing. Second Solution is amazing. All Torn Down. Like, there's so many songs from this era living in, and my favourite Living End song is yet to come. We'll talk about that later. Um, but Prisoner of Society itself, look, I'll give any... I think that they're a great band and I will forgive any great band their breakthrough single um, because this was their breakthrough. This is the, mm. the big thing. This was the song that they played at the end of their sets for ages and this is the song that got them a huge audience and they deserved a huge audience because they're a freaking amazing band. Um, I always liked... I mean, apart from this, I always really liked the singles that I heard and then when I finally moved to Sydney and they headlined the first home bake I went to and oh my fucking Christ, they were one of the most amazing things I've ever seen in my life. And then, you know, still liked singles, didn't see them again for another little while. Uh, went to Splendor in the Grass a few li- years later that you were at, Danny. <laughs> and, um... Which I'm not sure you were at, but anyway, go on. <laughs> well, yeah, well, I was there in, <laughs> <laughs> I was there in body. Um, <laughs> but, um... <laughs> um, and there was one of those other occasions where I was like, I, I wanted to see 
Whoever was headlining on the, the main stage that night, so I went and, and got my, my spot mm. and I stood in the spot and I was like, oh, Living End are coming up. Oh, cool, I'll see Living End again. And they won the night. Again, they're just that yeah, band. They they're are. just, they're, like, wherever they play, they could play at 10 in the morning or they can headline and they will win the day. They are just that kind of band. Chris Cheney is one of the greatest guitar players that Australia has ever seen. There is that That yeah. is just... Full stop. Mm. He is just. That's one why of the I best thought you picked this song because I knew you'd think that. He's, he's, yeah, he's easily, right. the, he's easily the best that can write songs. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, fair enough. And sing them. Yeah, and I think I mean I listen to this song and I and I hear uh, an immature songwriter, um, but then I guess he's someone that's at this point taking the piss out of an immature songwriter, so kind of gets away with it. Mm. I don't know. Um, but then I just think of the other songs that that were around it at the time. Um, you know, Second Solution, All Torn Down, keep coming into my head at this point. Um, but yeah, Living End, I think, uh, will continue to be one of those bands that always have a place in Australian rock history. They're one of those bands that did break through um, both Triple J and Triple M, and they can play in Newtown and they can play in Campbelltown, you know? Yeah. They're one of those yeah. kind of bands, and, and they d- deserve that fully, and um, and I just think they're one of the one of the great Australian rock stories. Absolutely, mm. and I love them. So, Second Solution was, off, was available for me to choose as well on the list because it was a double A side. Ah, true, true. Uh, and I didn't choose that, and I deliberately didn't choose that because... There is something about this song that I think I actually like more than Second Solution. Second Solution is maybe on the surface a better song. Having them both together on the same EP when you listen to it was great because you, you didn't go, well, this band is just a bunch of idiots. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like The Offspring with nothing to say yep. because Second Solution said such an important and, and really interesting thing and did it so well. But this is, I think, the better song because it's just more energetic and it just it's more of a of a thrill if it was one song left in the night at a living end gig and it was Second Solution versus Prisoner of Society I would want to hear Prisoner of Society and yeah it's one of those songs that I never hear, need to hear ever yeah again. right the other thing about the lyrics is that I know that he says it's a joke and they didn't try very hard on it it was, it was a thing that he just sort of um, you know sort of dashed off as a, as a joke to all the bands that he toured with when they you know all that sort of stuff um, is that it's musically so good mm. that you know it's a thing sure it is. where, and I know you, you, Casey, don't like the film, and a lot of people say Avatar's got a terrible script, but yep. if you were to put like a complex Sherlock-esque script into there, it would make it too much. There's like so much going on and screened on a technical special effects level to add a freaking clever, intelligent story would make people's brains bust. So... No. But <laughs> sorry, Avatar. You know that happens. Avatar's yeah. still shit. Uh, but no, no, that's fine. That's fine. But like, that's yeah. kind of to some degree of if if you put a more complex lyric or something, if you put like second solution story. But I'm into- always talking uh, like I'm even saying a second verse. Like this song is just like. You know. it's, it's not even the complexity isn't even the issue. It's kind of. Look, the the Clash didn't write complicated lyrics. Yeah, they were able to convey much more sophisticated ideas uh, within mm. those. This doesn't convey any sophisticated no, ideas no. because it wasn't meant to. No, and it's also yeah. this was kind of the whole thing of, well, we're rebelling, but it's just a bunch of antisocial behaviour, and you sure. know that that was kind of the the thing I was talking about, where you know I, I'd read enough to the extent where I knew that this is kind of the stupid end of 
a lot of um, radical and left-wing politics yeah. that people always go, well, <laughs> yeah. you know, you're well, all just a bunch of malcontent. Um, the stuff that Gerard Henderson gets annoyed at. Yeah, exactly. And that's kind of, well, yeah, it's a straw man. And I, yeah. I, I find out later, yes, it's a parody. And I, okay, that, that kind of makes sense. Yeah. But, you know, at the, like at this stage, it's kind of, you know, like the comparison between this and say Tom Joad's speech from John Steinbeck's novel. Sure, is kind of you know. It's not the comparison. See, so I'm not saying that the, the ideas in it are, are, are badly formed. I'm saying there's no ideas in it. This is this is the Mizalu. Like this is a, one of the greatest, and the band, the arrangement of it, and it's it's a it's oh. a vocal if it's a vocal instrumental, and the band. As much as they say they didn't try in this song, you listen to the song and they freaking... Oh, all, man. You know? It's, it's, pr- it's, it's sung amazingly. It is produced it is beautifully just... because it just sounds like... One of the great things that I love about The Living End is that um, they're... I, I, I guess it's to do with the band themselves, but they are, they make very good production choices pretty much always because their records always sound like yeah. a really well-recorded version of a live gig. Yeah, I think... And, and like, they yeah. don't... He, do, he doesn't uh, often... I'm not going to say never, but he doesn't often put a, a second rhythm track under when he plays a guitar solo. Like, it just... Mm. plays and he and he just doesn't, yeah. he doesn't, he doesn't need, need to and, and Scott Owen just just fills it out yeah. and he's also but talented like, enough yeah. as a guitar player to do that one track of going from a rhythm track going straight into a solo nailing it and yeah. then nailing yeah. a perfect yeah. Yeah. which is hard to do <laughs> so, it's hard to do and and being like one of the greatest guitar players yeah. Australia's ever seen he can do it So that brings us to the end of another 90% Hits. Choose your own adventure for 1998 this time. So uh, we've all picked our favourite from the, uh, you know, top 100 selling singles of that year, but there are probably a few that we could have chosen. Um, Tim Byron, what what did you have in your list of honourable mentions? The stuff I was thinking about choosing that I ended up not choosing, one of which was Stop by the Spice Girls, which I think is just a great song. I I figured we've done Wannabe, don't need to do Stop as well. Fair Um, enough. Sweetest Thing by U2, I really love. I think that's just a a really sweet song that I like that I think is um, is cool. And yeah, The Way by Fastball is great, and Sex and Candy by Marcy Playground. They were both things that I kind of feel, oh, maybe someone else would choose them. Maybe Danny will pick that, or or Casey will pick (laughs) that. So I was like, no, no, I'll leave them alone. Fair enough. Danny, what were your honourables? Uh, the ones that Tim Byron just thought on my pick. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know what? Like, so uh, I did pick uh, one week as my first choice. Prison Society, my second. Uh, the way was would have been easily third, and yep. then not, and then apart from the ones that we've we've talked about, that was really it for me. It was a kind of a dry year. There were like maybe like a handful of songs that really really stuck out, and then it's mostly dross for me. So okay, uh, Tim Cor. Yeah, I'm kind of with Danny there. It's such a narrow band of, of songs to, to choose from and the circumstances of uh, gamesmanship that went into picking everything. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? It's it's a, lot, a lot more complicated than Jeez. what it ordinarily yeah, is. Right. But, I mean, yeah, but Polyester Girl was kind of second on my list. Yeah. Um, and, um, yeah, I think, yeah, uh, Sex and Candy and... Basketballs, uh, the way have been mentioned, which were kind of my backup picks if those two were okay. taken, which I suspected mm. they could have been at yeah, any yeah, point yeah. in time. And I was kind of like, yeah, I'd be kind of disappointed to actually 
have to speak about those okay. in some way. I mean, they're, they're decent and they're fun and they have good baggage for me, but yeah, they're not kind of um, yeah. wonderful songs. Yeah. For my I parents. have no relationship with the band Fastball. So yeah. yeah. Um, and the thing is, looking through this list, just the sheer amount of... Um, Terrible songs. Yeah, I mean... There was definitely the, a renaissance of songs aimed at, like, 13-year-old girls. Yeah, we, we dealt with bad before, but we went we hadn't dealt with anything this bad. <laughs> I don't know. I actually didn't find it... You know, I, look, yeah, The Way by Fastball and Sex and Candy, great songs, and so we might... I mean, we'll definitely post those on the blog because they were all, um, yeah. you know, definite phases of the song. Mm. Um, in terms of like pop songs, commercial pop songs that I think still stand up to this day. Um, Torn by Natalie Imbruglia is a wonderful song. Yeah, Like it's I agree. an absolutely wonderful song and um, a band that you were in, Lazy Susan, and, and Tim Byron was in as well. Lazy Susan covered um, Torn a couple yeah. of times. Did you play Torn with them? No. You didn't? Oh, well, no. I saw them play Torn no. a couple of times. Oh, no. Did I you not? Have, I think you no, may no, have. Yeah, been. I might have. Yeah, yeah. No, I yeah. did it live once or twice. Yeah. Um, and you know what? This actually came up last week when we were talking about um, this uh, this week's episode. But fuck you, I reckon Buses and Trains was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and next week you can join us without Casey. And so I guess the last thing to talk about is that we get to pick our favourite song of the ones that the other guys chose. So just to recap, we talked about this week, uh, One Week by the Bare Naked Ladies, which was mine. Polyester Girl by Regurgitator, which was Tim Byron's. Brick by Ben Folds 5, which was Tim Coyle's. And um, Prisoner of Society by Living In, which was Danny's. Tim Coyle, what was your favourite of the others? Oh, I guess because I'm Schrodinger's Tim Byron. <laughs> um... It has to be polyester girl. Excellent. Uh, Danny? One Week by Bare Naked Ladies. Oh, of course. <laughs> um, oh, this is going to happen again, isn't it? Uh, Byron? For me, I think it's going to have to be Brick by Ben Folds 5. It is a song I skip on the album, but I like it much better than a One Week or Prisoner of Society. So, yeah, Brick. Ooh, this is tough. Because, again, like, just to say it again, like, all bands that I like, but yes. no, none of them are my favourite songs by that band. Oh, so I'm just going to have to pick my favourite band out of that lot. Oh. For the sake of symmetry, Casey, I think you've got to pick Prisoner of Society. Yeah, I think I'm going to have to pick Prisoner <laughs> of Society. I'm going to have to pick Prisoner of Society for the sake of um, One Said to the Other from the Modern Artillery record, which is much better than anything they've ever done. Um... <laughs> So thank you very much. That was another, thank you for listening. That was another uh, Choose Your Own Adventure episode. Um, you can find our work on um, <laughs> uh, Twitter, Facebook, Tumblr. You can email us at Gmail. So we're 90% hits with percent spelled out in words in every instance. Um, Tim, do you want to tell us about the blog or, or not? Yeah, so on the blog this week, we're all going to post about the song that we picked and what we think about it, and probably some other stuff, some other songs by the band, like the ones we like better yeah. for the songs that we like yep. better than the ones there. So we'll all do, go and do that. You'll get some posts from each of us. And um, yeah, and tell us about iTunes, Danny, if you want. But you don't have to, or don't. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not just iTunes. It's more just, just leaving a comment, leaving us a ratings. And, and I think Facebook is actually doing really well. People yeah, it is, that. for sure. So come find us on Facebook and have a chat with us. Uh, we love talking to everyone and getting your feedback and knowing what you would have chosen. Uh, I'm sure it would have been Stars on 54, if uh, you could read my <laughs> mind or something like that. Or getting um, jiggy with it. 
we're getting jiggy with it, you know. So yeah, have we hit, we haven't hit the millennium yet, have we? That's coming soon. Sure. Yeah, I think that's next year. <laughs> so we'll be back uh, next week with another five songs. We're into 1999 next week, are we yeah, not? We yeah, are. yeah, we are. Very okay. end of 98 and into 99. Excellent. Um, and as always, if you know what happened to Mary, please let us know. The, the one other thing that I want to say about this song is one of the one of the best things I've ever read in a live review, and it wasn't it was probably about ten years ago, um, so it was still a number of years after this song was a hit, and it was a live review of a um, living in gig, and the and the reviewer just pointed out the wonderful irony of a room of fifteen people yelling back, "We don't need no one to tell us what to do." <laughs> <laughs> Except that guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>